We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed the pros for geo reina for the u.s national team is he wanted to change his scenery i think that's pretty clear but i'm not convinced that it's the best situation for him hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show, will be talking, ooh, Messi versus Ronaldo, the last dance, MLS versus Saudi Arabia, Geo seeing the forest through the trees, near post-Turner, we are the world, the case for more balls, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Masi, how you doing on this Wednesday, January 31st in the year 2024? I'm doing well, and this might be the first time in a long time that you and I have the same What Are We Watching submission. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So shall we get right to it? We are the world. Oh, I'm we so are glad. The and this was not planned. This was not planned at all. Well, oh. it was in the sense that I saw your recommendation on X, and that prompted me well, to watch. There it. we go. All right. Yes. So this is what I have watched. This is the only thing that I am going to talk about with regards to what I watch. And I love the fact that you watch it, Mossy. Uh, if you don't mind telling the folks out there, um, uh, what, what year were you, were you born? Uh, right around when that song was. Okay. Yeah. So you were born when that song came out. All right. Yeah. I was knee deep in. 80s MTV, uh, you know, craziness that was going on there. This happened in 1985. For those that don't know what we're talking about, over there on Netflix, um, it is called The Greatest Night in Pop and is basically a documentary on the making of We Are the World. Back in 1985, all the greatest, not just pop, pop and rock and country uh, and just musicians came together and recorded this one song, recorded it all in one night here in Los Angeles, uh, right around the corner here. And it went on to raise incredible amounts of money um, uh, to feed starving around the world. Uh, And it was a blockbuster type of success. This is a documentary on how you get all of these incredible, incredibly talented people all in one place at the same time. And have them record this song, all of the egos involved. And it just, it made me so happy to watch this. And I'm also glad that you can appreciate it, even though you were born at that time. And I'm sure you heard about what it was because it was that big, but I I don't think you have to have lived through it uh, to, to appreciate it. And you can also kind of almost imagine what it would be like to put that type of group of stardom together one night and, you know, now we talk, talk so much about Taylor Swift and everybody. If you had all of those different characters together and all, like I said, all the egos and all the problems, you know, thank God for someone like Quincy Jones, who was kind of the, the ringmaster of, uh, of what was going on. And Michael Jackson at the time, and obviously Lionel Richie, who was a huge part of it. They got wonderful interviews. I, th- I think they got incredible footage because they, they videoed the entire thing. I cannot say enough about how great this video or how great this documentary is. I agree. I thought it was so interesting how uncomfortable Bob Dylan was because (laughs) he's not a singer. And so he felt really out of place and nervous. And Quincy Jones had to kind of talk him through his part. It was was interesting. And it is a who's who. Um, You know, they tried to get Prince and they tried to get Prince through Sheila E., who was one of his prodigies. And that whole dynamic was amazing. They wanted to get Madonna. And it's amazing how they came back on uh, on Cindy Lauper as this is what who we're going to get. She she featured prominently. And then it goes all over the map from Al Jarreau to um, 
Daryl Hall to Steve Perry from Journey and Kenny Rogers. And the list goes on and on and on. Just incredible voices. And to hear them do this and, you know, Huey Lewis and real significant types of voices. And to your point, to see them almost be vulnerable. I mean, these are Bruce Springsteen. It just went on and on and on, but they have to get up on the mic and they have to oftentimes just sing one line. Again, it's a song that they kind of just figured out and just, you know, they had a cassette beforehand, but still you can see them worried about how this is going to go because they're not necessarily in their comfort zone anymore. And they're surrounded by some, in some cases, people they've grown up listening to, Diana Ross, I mean, and and Smokey Robinson, the list goes, like I said, on and on and on. Now, we know you're not the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan, right. a take that Aaron Schechter has never forgiven you for. Uh, but did you think he came across well in this documentary? I did. I always think Bruce comes across cool and humble. I, I, so much so that actually last night I also watched a Bruce Springsteen uh, making of uh, Born to Run. Which, which was really, really good, an hour and a half. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll talk about that later. You know what was an incredible part of this documentary? When they all started signing autographs oh, for each other. Uh, so cool. So, so cool. I think, I think people will really like it. And again, if, if you don't even know some of these people, just think about what it would take logistically. By the way, back then, it did, you didn't have your, well, you didn't even have cell phones. You couldn't be texting. Logistically, to get all of these people in one room and then to herd these types of cats and then the, just the technical aspect of recording them from an audio perspective, the video production that was going on. I mean, there's wonderful, you know, one point they talk about, who was it, Al Jarreau, who had, you know, probably had too much to drink during the night and him trying to get his line right and just just insanity going on behind the scenes, just but wonderful insanity and obviously for a good cause. So I think uh, I think we've hit upon something that everybody can like if they watch it. Um, I will. I, I don't know if you saw this, Mossy, but I didn't want to mention this, that uh, the uh, my friends over there at My Greatest Eleven, which puts together these great 11s and oftentimes find some characteristic or trait to, uh, to do. Well, they put together their, <laughs> their greatest ginger uh, redhead, if you will, ginger 11. So it's their ginger FC here. And I'm in, I'm in good company, my friend. I'm in the back line there with uh, Samer, Reese over there on that left-hand side, uh, Bogdan in, uh, in goal, Bremer and Butt and Ball and course, Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, I know he's, he's, he probably straddles the line between redhead and blonde, but we'll, we'll definitely take him as part of team mutant gene. Paul Scholes over there on that left-hand side. There were a lot of people that were up in arms from a tactical perspective about having Scholes out there on that left-hand side and then Hartson uh, up top. So it's a pleasure and honor to be associated with so many great redheads, so many great gingers, long live the mutant gene, gene there. And thank you to uh, our friends over there at my greatest 11. Shall we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, we're going to start out the show with a wonderful interview uh, and a wonderful guest returning to the show, Doug McIntyre. You know him, you love him. We talked to him about a bunch of different things uh, when it comes to this Messi and Ronaldo situation and what's going on with Saudi Arabia and MLS, uh, and then obviously the U.S. men's national team. So enjoy it. Okay, we bring in the great Doug McIntyre, our uh, Fox colleague and the uh, Fox Sports Soccer Insider. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the show. All sorts of doings. I want to start with this... Well, what was supposed to be Messi and Ronaldo and the last dance, but uh, Mr. Ronaldo has other, uh, other ideas. But um, when we look at what Saudi Arabia is and what MLS is relative to these two players who are kind of the iconic symbols right now for these two leagues, um, is this really a competition between these two, two leagues on and off the field going forward? Or is it the way we look at it kind of over here when I see... When I saw what China did, should should I, as an American soccer fan and as an MLS supporter, be scared with what's happening over there in Saudi Arabia? Hey, guys, I'm not sure if I'd go as far as to say scared, Alexi, but I think there's no question that Saudi Arabia certainly wants to uh, they want to attract the best soccer players they can buy and they can afford to buy some of the great ones. And we've already seen that happen. It's a country that, like the U.S., has a World Cup coming to its shores in the relatively near future. And, uh, and they're going to, you know, they're going to continue, I think, to, to push to, to become a power in, in the soccer space. And there is room there. I mean, after the top five leagues in Europe, af- after that, I think there is some jockeying between other leagues and most prominently MLS and the Saudi Pro League um, to sort of be that, that next league, that up- upcoming league. And certainly when you have Ronaldo in one league and you have Messi in the other, 
that goes a long way toward that end. So it's unfortunate that we're not going to get the, the 37th meeting all time between the two greatest players of their generation, two of the greatest players to ever do it. Um, but something tells me that uh, there might be another chance to do it somewhere down, down the, the line. There's obviously a lot of money to be made. It's pretty interesting that um, Al Nasser didn't announce that Ronaldo wasn't going to play. It was actually their coach in a press conference uh, earlier today. Obviously, we're, we're uh, taping this on, on Wednesday, but um, didn't say much in the lead up to the game. They had canceled a couple of matches uh, in China, but I'm sure that they sold a lot of tickets. Obviously, Messi, uh, 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 an attraction uh, as well, just a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be a great crowd. Um, but it, there is a rivalry between these leagues, I, I think, even if, um, you know, it's it's not perfect. These games that Miami, Inter-Miami is playing in Saudi Arabia this week, it is a little bit of a referendum on both leagues. Now, that's not fair. It is still preseason uh, for MLS, uh, for, for Inter-Miami. Um, and they had to do a lot of travel to, to get there. They're playing, uh, you know, again, you know, in a stadium that the all the fans are, are cheering against them. But on the other hand, the Saudi clubs, they have some players missing at, you know, various international tournaments, the AFCON, the Asian Cup. Um, and it, it just is interesting and I, I think fascinating to, to watch these games. The, the first one that we saw on Monday, a really entertaining game. I mean, uh, Al-Hilal goes up to nothing. You think, yikes, this might be a, a blowout. Um, and it turned into a, a fascinating back and forth match that, um, you know, that the, the home team won like at the death. And, and we got a Suarez goal. We got a Messi goal. So I think everyone went home uh, happy. And, and like I said, I, I think the game, even without Ronaldo, um, on Thursday will be interesting. And and I think at some point you're going to see another messy Ronaldo showdown because there's just too much money to be made, guys, to, to not have that happen. Doug, who are some of the players Saudi Arabia has signed in the last 12 months or so that you think in the MLS offices they really felt like, damn, that's a guy we would have loved to have had who previously would have come yeah. to MLS at that point in his career and Saudi Arabia, quote unquote, stole him from us. Can you name two or three that really jump out for you? I can't name two or three, Masi, but I can name one. The obvious one is Neymar. I mean, that's a guy that has the cachet that casual sports fans know. I'm not sure that Jordan Henderson is moving the needle in MLS or, or even someone like N'Golo Kante, who's a great player, World Cup winner. Um, but those are not the sorts of, of you know, splash-making guys that are going to sell a ton of jerseys. Kareem Benzema is obviously the other one. I, so there's two for sure. I mean, that's a guy that uh, that I think that you know, his career speaks for itself, what he accomplished at Real Madrid. Um, you know, a guy that MLS uh, MLS teams would would love to have, have had. Um, but I'm more interested in the players going forward and where they're going to go. Um, I, I think we're a ways away. There's, I was having a conversation about this with someone earlier. You know, there is no next Messi on, on the horizon. There's no obvious superstar out there that I think that either leagues have to have Mo Salah maybe would be one. Um, certainly the Saudi league, you can understand why they would want to bring him in. And then beyond that, you're looking down the road at someone like Kylian Mbappe, who uh, the Saudis also, you know, sounded out and were told, uh, you know, in no uncertain terms that uh, he's not looking to move to a league like that at this stage of his career. Mbappe loves the U.S. Uh, he loves the culture of the U.S. It would, you know, I'm, I know MLS would love to have him down the road and the Saudis would too. So um, it, it, it is interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where both leagues go from here on the superstar front. One more question before we uh, spin it to the U.S. men's national team and, and some American talk here. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, this, this quote was in your, uh, in your story about the two leagues, said the Saudi League is better than MLS. Well, obviously, he's representing the Saudi League, so he's going to say that. I would think Messi would probably say the same thing, maybe a little bit more diplomatically. Yeah. But what are some of the challenges? And again, we're, we're over here, so we're just watching it from the outside. What are some of the challenges, and I guess the difference in challenges, that a Saudi Arabia faces relative to an MLS, or some advantages that they have? Yeah, you guys have, have talked about this a lot. I think that when you look at the U.S., it's still a place that, Many people, not just players, but people from around the world, they want to live uh, in the U.S. They they understand that what the lifestyle is like, the opportunities that are available uh, to them and their families. Um, you know, Messi talked about coming to M uh, to Miami and and how he had to pri prioritize his family at this stage of his life, and he and he felt that that was the place where they were going to have the best lifestyle. Um, but Saudi has a, a ton of money. I mean, unlimited money almost. And and the last time I was on, we talked about, you know, is MLS going to loosen the pur purse strings? And it doesn't 
really seem like they're willing to do that, at least in the near term. Um, so that's going to be a challenge. But of course, when superstar players become available, somehow the money manages to, to materialize as it as it did for, for Messi. Uh, again, it's going to be fascinating going forward to see how these, these two leagues uh, jockey for, for superstars because there's not that many guys out there that really move the needle, that grab the attention uh, of the casual fans. And, and, and those sorts of players are going to be uh, in the crosshairs of both leagues. Yeah, Doug, I was going to ask you about MLS loosening restrictions. You kind of answered it. You said they're not going to do that in the near-term future. So why don't we spin it forward to the U.S. national team? Uh, the transfer window winding down. Big news. Gio Reyna is off to Nottingham Forest, but on loan with no option to buy permanently. Yeah. And he did sign an extension with Dortmund. So it seems like everyone involved here was kind of hedging their bets. Is that how you see it? What do you make of this move to Forest? It's an interesting one. I mean, again, there's 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 positives, there's negatives, pros, cons. The the pros for Gio Reyna for the U.S. national team is he wanted a change of scenery. I think that's pretty clear. I think he needed a change of scenery, and now scenery, and now he's got one. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, Forrest's coach, uh, by all accounts, wants this player. So that's always a good situation. Eden Terzic uh, at Dortmund, he said all the right things about what a fantastic player Gio is, but he hasn't played him very much this year, and he understands. He said he understands why Gio wants to leave. So Gio gets a fresh start. Um, I'm not sure, like like you said on the last pod, Masi, that it's the right fit. In fact. I don't think it's a good fit at all, considering some of the other you know, leagues and clubs that were mentioned in Spain and France, um, where the playing style seems to suit Gio's game a bit better. He's joining a team in a relegation dogfight. Um, the Premier League is, you know, not only is it the best league in the world, I think by a considerable distance, physically uh, and the speed of play, it's just off the charts compared to anywhere else. And it's hard enough to adjust to that when you, when you transfer in the summer. It's even harder to do that when you come in mid-season. We saw Weston McKenney really struggle uh, to, to adapt when he went to Leeds last year. He goes back to Italy. He's been one of the best midfielders in Serie A this year. I don't you know, think that's a dispute. Potentially one of the best players in that league through the first half of the season. So, you know, it's a big ask for a guy in Gio that he, he hasn't played very much. He hasn't shown that he's a 90-minute player in the Bundesliga. He hasn't played more than 45 minutes uh, or he's played over 45 minutes in just one match uh, since the Nations League semifinal against Mexico last June. So uh, I think it's, you know, he's going to have a little bit of a, a shock when he when he realizes that, you know, he gets out there, the intensity of, of those games, the time on the ball, it's just not there. Um, he's going to have to sink or swim. And look, I hope he does great. I think that it's important for him. It's important for the U.S. US national team that, uh, that he goes there and succeeds. I think he'll get the opportunity to, but I'm not convinced that it's the best situation for, for him and by extension, the U.S. team. So that gives me a little bit of pause, I think. Well, speaking of the U.S. team, uh, big summer for this team and for Greg Berhalter. I mean, big year, too, because you got March with the... Uh, 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 what's the uh, Nations, Nations League? Nations League. Final I always four. get them confused. Nations League, and then obviously this summer with uh, with Copa America. Um, there's the ever-ending uh, and evergreen type of talk about who's up top, and you know, flows cold right now. But we also have you know Brandon Vasquez, who has hit the ground running down in Mexico. Yeah. So I guess there's two questions: How do you think this team is set up right now? Again, we're talking in January of 2024. For this year and obviously for this summer, and then in particular, when it comes to that relationship between Liga MX, which we're seeing now players going down there, is that something to keep an eye on yeah. just in a general sense in terms of the business of what's going on and the competition, I guess, on the field with all of the interaction and, uh, and history and connections now um, that these two, two leagues have? Vasquez is a really interesting one, Lex, because... You know, Ricardo Pepe is coming off the winter break in the in the Netherlands. Um, you know, they're going to ramp up. Obviously, PSV is in the knockout stage of the Champions League, and if if Pepe gets some opportunities in that competition and takes advantage and scores, you know, that's certainly going to increase his chances uh, with the national team. Flo Balogun, a little bit of a uh, a slump with Monaco. Um, so, does that open the door for Brandon Vasquez, um, who has is off to a great start in in Monterrey? But I'm not convinced that. Um, and I know you guys talked about this again on the last pod that, you know, that Greg Berhalter, to the U.S. coach is going to look at the goals he scores in that league and really be moved by them. I mean, this is a guy who uh, in 2022, he had 18 goals in MLS. He was the top joint top American uh, scorer in MLS along with Jesus Ferreira, and he couldn't get a sniff. I mean, he, he wasn't called in for any of the pre-World Cup camps, let alone the World Cup roster uh, itself. So I wonder if, if Greg looks at the production in Mexico and says, 
Yeah, but, you know, I have guys that are playing in better leagues. I have Ricardo Pepe scoring in the Champions League. Uh, so I'm not sure. I mean, look, if he scores enough, and Masi, I know you made the, the Hercules Gomez comparison uh, on, on the last show. If he scores enough, at some point, you become impossible to ignore. And I, and I hope that's what happens. I really like Vasquez as a player. He brings something different uh, stylistically than any of the other options. Um, but, but certainly up top, it's a wide open race. Josh Sargent, you have to throw, throw in there as well, back with Norwich scoring goals. Um, so it's, it's going to be really interesting. And, and I think you're right. I think that forward position for the national team is, is fascinating heading into the March games and heading into the Copa America this summer. Doug, how concerned are you by Matt Turner? Another mistake last time out against yeah. Arsenal, according to Fabrizio Romano, Forrest are furiously trying to sign a goalkeeper before the end of this window. Turner's already been benched once this season. He only got his job back because Flaco Dimos was even worse, but it sounds like Forrest clearly don't buy into him as a starter long-term. So are you worried about that in terms of the U.S. national team? Yeah, I'm concerned about the goalkeeping position as a whole for the U.S. men's national team because the options behind Matt Turner... Uh, aren't great. And, and he has struggled in his first season as a starter in the Prem. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that. But in the past, there always seemed to be someone else waiting in the wings, whether it was Marcus Hanneman or Nick Raimondo or And these guys, you know, not necessarily uh, starters, but you had veteran guys with experience. You look at the 2002 World Cup team that went to the quarterfinals. Uh, Bruce Arena takes Tony Miola uh, as a goalkeeper on that squad and left Tim Howard home. Um, so there, there's there's always been an embarrassment of riches in that position, and that is just not the case right now. I mean, you have to ask who the you know who is the keeper. If Matt Turner doesn't play from from now until the end of the season, who's the starting keeper going into Copa America? I mean, it might still be Matt because he wasn't playing ahead of the World Cup um, for Arsenal and still ended up playing in that tournament, did did very well. Um, but one guy I would keep an eye on is Zach Steffen. It appears that uh, Steffen and, and Berhalter have patched uh, whatever differences they had up. Uh, Steffen, of course, was, you know, looked like the incumbent, the surefire number one at the World Cup in Qatar until about six months before that tournament. He shockingly didn't even make the final squad. Um, but Berhalter said on, on a call with reporters uh, earlier this month that, he had spoken to Zach. Uh, Stefan has, has, you know, gone, come back to MLS with Colorado Rapids. He's going to be playing week in, week out. He's still only 28 years old. He's still an elite shot stopper. I mean, you don't end up at Manchester City by accident. So he's still a, a very good keeper. He's experienced. Um, he's uh, and he's going to have the chance to play every single week and 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 make a real run at that position. And uh, if Matt Turner does indeed go back to the bench at Forest, uh, you know Stefan has a real opportunity there to not just get back in with the national team, uh, but to get in the net as uh, as the the choice uh, for for Berhalter going into uh, a very important tournament this summer. Ooh, Zach Stefan possibly back in the picture. Mossy, I know you got one more before we go, right? Yes, Doug. Uh, Jose Mourinho was just sacked by Roma. Jurgen Klopp announced he's leaving Liverpool at the end of the season. U.S. fans couldn't help but muse about the possibility of one of those two guys coaching the U.S. national team down the road. I'm just curious from a financial standpoint. Let's say after the Copa America, yeah. Greg Berhalter leaves, Mourinho and Klopp call up the U.S. Federation and say, I want to coach the U.S. team, but you have to pay me market value. I want to be one of the highest coaches paid international coaches in the world. Is that even a possibility? Does the U.S. even have the wherewithal financially to be able to afford a guy like that? It's a very, very interesting question. And I think it's an interesting answer. So my understanding on this is because I've asked this question uh, to folks at U.S. soccer. What I was told is like they might not have the money in the bank right now. But if Jurgen Klopp picks up the phone and calls U.S. soccer and says, I want to coach the U.S. men's national team. They will find a way to get that money, whether it's through sponsors, whether it's through donors. Um, this is pie in the sky stuff. Obviously, it's a hypothetical. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that, you know, U.S. soccer you know, wants to go out and spend 20, 30 million dollars a year on a coach necessarily. But certainly if someone like Jurgen Klopp, uh, you know, Mourinho's a different story, I think. But if Jurgen Klopp, if it was his dream or Pep Guardiola's dream to coach the U.S. men's national team, they would find the money uh, to, to pay either one of those guys. I think I think that uh, if that was the situation, it would happen. But I don't think that's going to be the situation, unfortunately, for the U.S. men's national team. Wow. All right. Uh, interesting. All right. Listen, uh, you're always a wealth of knowledge and you're always welcome here on the State of the Union. Uh, my good friend Doug McIntyre over here, our Fox soccer uh, soccer insider. 
And uh, like I said, just uh, always with his ear to the ground and giving us interesting stuff, my friend. Uh, have fun over there, uh, back home up there in the Great White North. We'll see you out there on the road, my friend. See ya. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks to uh, Doug McIntyre. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Musky, uh, that last thing that he said, and I love that question that you asked him. Do you think that if Josie Mourinho or Jurgen Klopp did pick up that phone, do you think that the United States Federation would move heaven and earth to do that? I don't think so. I, I, if, I mean, look, if, if it's a bad summer for, for Greg Berhalter, that's one thing. But what if it's a, a good showing at Copa America and they're heading in the right direction? Obviously, they came back to him. Do you think, I don't, I, the money thing, I don't, they'll, they'll figure out the money thing. I'm much more concerned as whether they would actually do something like that. Well, the way I framed the question to Doug was, what if Greg Berhalter left after the Copa America, which presumably would mean that the U.S. did very poorly, went out in the group stage? Yeah, okay. Well, I would be interested to see if it, if if the Federation would push Greg Berhalter aside, regardless of how far they feel he has come with this team or the direction that they're heading, in favor of somebody like Pep Guardiola and uh, or uh, Jurgen Klopp. I know there's a lot of people that would say absolutely that that's a trade up that they will take. Yeah, we'll see. All right, listen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got all sorts of preview going on because this is a massive, massive weekend when it comes to Europe and Mexico for that matter. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. As I mentioned, a big, big weekend of games uh, coming up over in Europe and in Mexico. Should we start over, uh, or should we start down south in Mexico, Mossy? Yeah, there's some massive games this weekend. It's the sort of weekend that could end Sean Sullivan's marriage. Uh, we will begin in Liga MX. <laughs> we don't want that, for the record. Yes. America hosting Monterrey at the Azteca. Both teams with three wins and one draw to start the season. America, your defending champions. They won the Apertura. It's an American showdown. You have Zendejas for America and Brandon Vasquez for Monterey. Three goals in his last two games. So he's going to start, right? I would think so. <laughs> I would hope so, too. I mean, this is this is kind of why he is down there. Uh, and we've heard him talk about, you know, this new adventure. We've heard Kate Cowell talk about this new adventure. And it's putting them in... Um, you know, uncomfortable types of situations and hoping that they, uh, that they, that they grow and also historic type of situations here with, uh, with these two, with these two teams, uh, you know, look, he's a goal scorer. And so a lot of his value and a lot of the way that we are going to ex uh, assess him and the perspective that we have on him or the perception that we have on him is relative to him putting the ball in the back of the net. I love the fact that he is, uh, that he has done that and, this could be no more bigger moment than if he were to come up here and not that he needs to prove anything necessarily to anybody, but I guess as a goal scorer and as, you know, one that's coming over from another league, you're always looking to prove yourself. We go to Italy next where Inter will host Juventus in the Derby d'Italia. It's a top of the table clash. Inter with a one point lead and a game in hand. I expect Wesson McKinney to start. Timmy Weah to come off the bench. Milik suspended. So it'll either be Yildiz or Chiesa starting alongside Vlahovic uh, should be a good one. This is in Milan, right? Correct. Okay. Does this ultimately decide Serie A for you? Uh, if, if Inter would win it. If Inter it. wins yeah. and then they win that game in hand, that would make it seven. Right. So, yeah, Juve would be in big far, trouble. Right? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's see what they got. We, we, need, to, we need to get, you know, we're going to talk a lot about, uh, you know, Americans, and we do often talk a lot about Americans. We need to figure out a way to infiltrate the uh, the Inter ranks, Mossy. We need an American at uh, at Inter, right? Tejan Buchanan, at least a CONCACAF player, former MLS. But yeah, uh, I'll tell you, McKinney has his work cut out for him. That's a very good midfield with Barella, Chalanolu, and Mihatarian. Obviously, you've got Lautaro up front, solid back line, Acerbi, Bastoni, Benjamin Pavard. You know, I'm very high on that Inter team, so... I know. I think I know. they You've win this game. Them. You've picked them. You've picked them. So this would go a long way, you know, because I, I do think Juventus is, is, is biting their heels in a way that they can feel it. But this, this might be a little bit too much uh, for event. Uh, anything, uh, anything else Serie A-wise? Yes, AC Milan are in third, so they're hoping that Inter-Juve game ends in a draw, and if they handle their business, they would gain ground on both teams. Pulisic, Musa, and company are away to Frosinone. Frosinone. 
I mean, I mean, the big, the big question relative to Christian Pulisic and the American angle of it is, first off, again, knock on wood, always with Christian Pulisic, that he's healthy, he's playing, he's, uh, he's starting, he's contributing. But now, what if they get a, what if they get a penalty, Mossy? Who steps up, for, uh, if Milan gets a penalty, who steps up to take it? I, they, they have to have talked about it this week, right? Either amongst themselves as players or in a more formal setting with the, uh, with the leadership there and said, all right, listen, uh, I'm going to give you one more chance. And that would be more of an individual type of conversation. Or, hey, we have to make a change here because we can't afford to keep leaving goals on the table that possibly in, in the actual table could hurt us. I think Pulisic would be well within his rights to grab the ball and see if he could grab the ball. That yeah. would be boss if he did that. All right. Uh, up next, we go to the Netherlands, the Eredivisie. Ajax will host PSV. You might recall Ajax made a disastrous start to the season. The fans were rioting. They lost 5-2 to PSV, a game in which Chucky Lozano scored a hat-trick. That was rock bottom. Literally, Ajax were last in the standings after that game. But since then, they've ripped off nine wins and two draws in 11 league games. They've moved up to fifth. They're trending towards finishing third behind PSV and Feyenoord. So it'll be a tough game for PSV. I expect Dest and Tillman to start. Pepe to come off the bench. We know Dest has been dishing out assists like Magic Johnson circa 1988. And in uh, in Holland, the, the top two teams make Champions League. The third one goes to the qualifiers, right? That's what this... Okay, yeah. All right, so listen. If IX, after all of this craziness, were able to, you know, bite and crawl and scratch their way back into contention here, and, and as you said, yeah, with... Oof, man, it's 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 still going to be close for them, but it's I, I, I they're 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 too good not to find a way back, and they're on fire. So I'm gonna I'm who are you gonna go with this? Because I'm gonna go with Ajax. I'm gonna go with PSV. You are okay. Now on the Pepe front, did you see how Doug poo pooed what Brandon Vasquez is doing in Mexico? Boy, he's very threatened that somebody could. Well, he poo pooed it relative to Greg Berhalter. To Greg Berhalter in the way that he thinks, and I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he sounded like he was saying that in Greg Berhalter's mind, you got to do it in Europe, or or he puts more more weight in somebody doing it in Europe than somebody going down to Liga MX. Well, we'll see. Look, coaches don't care where you're playing as long as you score goals. <laughs> so, um, all right, should we go over to the EPL? Arsenal will host Liverpool. Liverpool hammer Chelsea today. City won as well. Right now, it's Liverpool atop the table at 51 points. City and Arsenal both at 46. City have played one fewer game. Many people, including myself, think this is trending towards a Liverpool-Manchester City title race. This weekend, it's a chance for Arsenal to make a statement and say, don't forget about us. It's really a three-team race. We're in this as well. No, they're not going to make a mistake. They're not going well. They're going to make a mistake in that they're not going to make a statement. I, I think that this regression that you are seeing is, I guess, concerning given what given what happened last year. Because what was what happened with Arsenal last year? It was great, and it just didn't have enough oomph and power at the end to finish that race. And so, what you would have hoped is they went back and they came back as stronger in the ability to maintain what they did, which was great, but maintain it throughout the season. I still don't think that they're there. And now, to your point, I think that it's a two-team uh, race for the top. No, Arsenal's going to be fine in terms of finishing top four. But at the top, I think that it's Liverpool and Man City. And Liverpool were already playing well. And this Klopp thing, I think, has it's, given them even a further lift. They really want to win it for him and have this fairy tale ending. So they're going to be tough to beat the rest of the season. I still, gun to my head, would go City to win the title. But it's a pretty close call between them and, and this Liverpool. This particular game, do you think Arsenal wins? Because this, uh, this is in London. Right. Yeah, I could see a draw in this game. Okay. Their previous meeting at Anfield finished uh, 1-1. Previous Premier League meeting, Liverpool did beat Arsenal in the FA Cup recently at the Emirates. Uh, so we'll see what they can do here. But I would pick a draw in this game. And we are coming on in the air here, like I said, uh, Wednesday, uh, right after, uh, let's see, Liverpool beat Chelsea. Chelsea, right? Hammered them. So, so they are, I mean, that, is that even a big celebration anymore beating Chelsea? Not really. Uh, I don't know. Um, anything else over there in uh, jolly old England? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, changing of the guard, there was a version of this rundown Sean Sullivan sent out yesterday that included the Dortmund game. And then this morning I told him, lose Dortmund, add Forrest. Because now being on GeoWatch means 
You're following Nottingham Forest. This weekend, they are away to Bournemouth, which is Tyler Adams' team, but he's injured. Uh, so Gio could make his debut in this one. And also, we'll see if Matt Turner is still out there. A lot will depend on whether Forest are able to sign a goalkeeper before the deadline ends. Did we kind of bury the lead uh, with, with, with Gio? That's all right. You know what? I mean, and I only say that because it's going to relate to what I'm about to say about uh, Gio. Um, and then I want to get to, to Matt Turner because I think that's an important component uh, of this story and obviously the, with what we talk about here. I, I have been fascinated by the way that there is this collective angst um, and support and, and um, what word am I looking for? Investment. This investment in, in Gio Reyna and in his future. And it's almost kind of morphed into a, like a coddling of him. And I get it. Because I think we all, even at times, can, can be criti critical of him. And certainly over the last year and, and what happened with the World Cup, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's one thing. But I think we all recognize how talented he is and how that trajectory has been stunted that, that he seemed to have been on. And so I think we all want what is best for him and any American player for that matter. But him in particular, because he's almost been this, this special one. And, you know, I, but at some point it's got to be on Gio. And so again, this is a very different situation that he's coming into. This is a very different culture. This is a very different type and style of play that he's coming into. He's coming into a team that while they are safe from relegation right now, there's only a couple of points here and one or two bad games. They certainly could be in a fight, which is something that he has never had to experience. And I'm just, I am interested to see ultimately what he looks like. But I'm also curious as to, and maybe it's because of what I just said, why, why does he deserve so much more support and praise? And like, and like I said, investment from the American soccer uh, public out there relative to other players. Is it just because he potentially could be the one? Yes, I think people see enormous potential in him. Okay. Well, you know, I, I would just hope that maybe we, in, in our parsing out and in, and in the way that we balance out all, all of our support there, instead of putting all those eggs into that one basket, maybe we spread the wealth there and spread the love when it comes to, to that support out. Gio's going to be just fine. I don't know if this is ultimately going to pay off for him. It, it is short-term, four months going, going there. It's only a loan. There is not evidently uh, a opportunity to buy him in terms of a contractual thing. They certainly could buy him if it was, if it was great. And if it doesn't go great or the money isn't there, he comes back to Dortmund and evidently he has just signed a new two year deal at Dortmund with, which locks him up from a contractual perspective, but certainly, you know, he could get sold going, uh, going forward. And with his new representation, <laughs> I'm sure that they are benefiting from, uh, from this, new, uh, this new deal. I mentioned Matt Turner. It has not gone well for Matt Turner, and it was designed for him to get to a place where he was going to play after the Arsenal situation where he was never going to, you know, be the number one goalkeeper. And yet now he finds himself where <laughs> it almost seems like every week now, Nottingham Forest is rumored and desperate to be signing, signing a goalkeeper. Not great for Matt Turner going, uh, going forward. I still think that he is the number one goalkeeper for the national team, but we saw in, the, in his previous game, near post goals for goalkeepers and in soccer, they never look good. I'm, I, you know, one of the, one of the most famous one in American history is Tony Miola in the World Cup in 1994. Um, he led in a near post goal against Romania. And I have always defended him and goalkeepers in that if they're cheating the cross, you know, the chances are that cross is going to come. And every once in a while, you're going to let it in. For Tony, it happened at the worst possible time in a, in a World Cup. But I would much rather that you cheat the cross than just be planted on that post. Now, there's some goalkeeper coaches and people say, no, don't do that. It's still a bad look. And you shouldn't let that ball go in near post in the way Matt did. And it's unfortunately a bad look at a time when Matt Turner can ill afford to have bad looks. That was uh, Dan Petrescu for Romania in 94. Gabriel Jesus here for Arsenal. Yeah, as far as Gio, in terms of who he's competing with in those attacking positions for Forrest, this Englishman Morgan Gibbs-White has been starting at the 10. On the wings, they've got guys like Nicolas Dominguez and Argentine Callum Hudson-Odoi. 
Uh, so it's not like he just walks into the starting lineup, but certainly it's guys that he could beat out. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, he's. I think if you sign a player like that, you know, even with all the, you know, the, the associations and the relationships behind the scenes when it comes to the owner and Gio's new agent and, uh, you know, all of the, uh, the, the history that they, uh, that they have, you know, with, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, these types of, uh, you know, connections that they have. You sign him, you, you're, you're going to play him at a certain point. To your point, is it in in that 10 position? It is out on one of the uh, the wings. I'm I'm here for it. And if Matt Turner didn't do it for you now, I'm sure that there's a lot of people now that will be tuning in to watch for us specifically to see Arena play. Be, be, be honest. Do you think the Wasserman group, they're sitting back now thinking, well, we could have gotten you Forrest. I mean, it's not like Jorge Mendes came in and turned it into Real Madrid or Barcelona. Oh, sh- uh, well, <laughs> look... <laughs> Agents losing clients, it happens. It happens in any industry where, that you have representation. People are going to move. And these are human beings, so they're going to take it personally. And it, it's not a great look for anybody when you lose clients and you see worry how that's going to affect other clients in terms of their perception of you. But you got to be able to get over it and recognize that, you know, clients are going to move. And you may not agree with it, but you hopefully wish them well. But, you know, it's somebody kind of, leaving your team, if you will, and going someplace else because they think that the grass is greener. And it might indeed be greener in terms of the money and the opportunities out there, or you might find that it's not so green. You know, when I did that radio show with Winalda ages ago, we used to have Motskin on a lot. Yes. Eric thought it was interesting to explore the business side of the game. Uh, well, maybe we'll have uh, Richard Motskin, agent to the stars, oh. and me, uh, on in the future. Yep. Anything else? Uh, in Spain, a big one, Real Madrid will host Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid have suffered only two defeats in all competitions this season. They've both come away to Atletico, one in La Liga, the other in the Copa del Rey. They did beat Atletico in the Spanish Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. They now get them at the Bernabeu. You know I'm super high on this Atletico Madrid team. This might be my favorite Simeone team because they actually play attractive football. Griezmann has been... In the conversation for best player in the world this season, Morata scoring goals, Rodrigo de Paul, fantastic in the midfield, Coque, guys like Savage and Jimenez holding it down, my boy Samuel Lino, a revelation down that left flank. So I like this Atletico team a lot, but going to the Bernabeu and getting a result is a tall order against Vinny Bellingham and company. You got Griezmann in your, uh, in your top five in the world right now? This season, he's been phenomenal. You know, he's a guy that we thought was kind of slowing down. Right. And the last couple of years, he was also terrific in the World Cup with France. And so he's had a real sort of second win here in his career. He's played some of his best football the last couple of years. Do you think it's because of anything that has been done? Because I always, I always hear people talk about, you know, take the, take the reins off players or take the reins off teams. And it always confused me as to, well, how does that manifest? What are they telling you you can't do or you have to do out there on the field? That you're that you're being stopped of, uh, from doing out there. I mean, do you think that that it's anything that you can point to as to why this has happened, or he's just a good player and he's in a moment where he's doing what he's always done and it's just working better? Well, we know with France, he played a lot yeah. deeper at the World Cup as more of a midfielder, and he was able to show off these skills we never knew he had in tracking back and winning the ball and functioning as more of a playmaker. With Atletico, it's been more up top, goals, assists, etc. But yeah, I mean, he had that horrible experience at Barcelona and just coming back to Atletico and having a team built around him you could tell he's really thrived on that and you know uh Stu Holden has mentioned him as the next big star he thinks is going to come to MLS so Antoine Griezmann in the not too distant future but it is strange to to go to Barcelona and to be shackled regarding your creativity that we kind of everybody wanted to see. I always thought him and Messi, it was a bit redundant. Uh, same thing happened with Coutinho. It's weird on a team with Messi to bring in another playmaker. It never quite works out. Yeah, you're, well, you're never going to live up to Messi no matter who you are. But it'll be interesting to see if he continues this, and to your point uh, that, uh, that Stu has been making for a long time, if he is one of those players. We talked earlier with uh, Doug McIntyre about possibilities and signings out there. Does he see a Saudi Arabia move, or does he see an MLS move? We've seen him over in the U.S. many, many times. Yeah. He certainly is enamored with the culture over here, so it would not surprise me in the least. He seems like a guy that's ticketed for the U.S. He loves it here. He's talked for years about finishing his career in MLS, so I wouldn't worry about him too much. But to Doug's point, there are a bunch of other big names that it's going to be interesting to see which way they go in the next few years. Um, update you on the two major international tournaments going on. We're at the quarterfinal stage. 
first, we'll do the Africa Cup of Nations. We had some big upsets in the last round. Host Ivory Coast took out defending champion Senegal on penalties, and South Africa beat World Cup semifinalist Morocco. How about this? The five highest-ranked African teams, according to the FIFA rankings, have already been knocked out of this competition. Well, maybe the FIFA rankings are bull****. I don't know. I mean, uh, well, when, when they when they tell the story that you want, FIFA rankings are great. And when they don't, ah, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's just some, you know, algorithm out there that spits out uh, who it is. But from a tournament perspective, uh, you want surprises and you want Cinderella's and you want things that people couldn't have predicted. And so you're get you're you're getting it here, whether it's <laughs> whether it's just because the reality what uh, or it's just one of those days where the soccer gods are saying, we're just going to have complete mayhem when it comes to a tournament. Meanwhile, in the Asian Cup, Japan took care of Bahrain and South Korea lived to fight another day. They trailed Saudi Arabia 1-0, equalized deep in stoppage time and then advanced on penalties. Jurgen Klinsmann was thrilled after this and much to the dismay of all his U.S. fan haters on X. Yes, the, uh, what's, what's the German word? Schadenfreude. The Schadenfreude will have to hold off for a little longer when it comes to the, uh, the haters out there when, uh, for Jurgen Klinsmann. So his, his team, and you could see how excited he, he was. So I think he's probably feeling the fact that he's under pressure and that there's a lot of people out there that are, I guess, hate watching when it comes to uh, Jurgen and South Korea. They face Australia next. If Australia win that game, they're going to be partying in the streets of Sydney until 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a callback folks that uh we spent a lot of time uh, as you know this past summer well last summer uh in in sydney and it was amazing how early they all went uh went to bed uh, a little more uh cup news if you will here you know me remember that uh, leagues cup thing that uh that happened last year in its in its big sense right leagues cup has been around since 2019 but last year it really kicked off in the full sense where MLS and Liga MX, all 47 teams, I think it is, participated. And by all accounts, we were in Sydney during the uh, League's Cup. By all accounts, it was an incredible success. Ultimately, Messi led his Miami team to their first trophy. And, you know, they, they caught lightning in the bottle, if you will, because they could introduce this full-form version of this tournament through Messi, and then they had the money shot at the end with Messi. Well, we have the new groups for this year as they go forward. And again, for those that don't know, this is a standalone tournament that happens in the middle of uh, both in the middle of the MLS season. They stop down when it comes to both MLS and uh, Liga MX and have this tournament, and they play this tournament. Correct. 47 teams. Columbus and Cuba America get buys into the knockout stage, so the other 45 have been divided into 15 groups of three, and they held the group stage draw, and storylines abound. You've got Inter-Miami in the same group as Tigres. You've got uh, Austin will be the first MLS club to have to contend with Brandon Vasquez and Monterey. They're in the same group there. You've got a group with Chivas, the Galaxy, and San Jose. So Cade Cowell faces former team, and the Galaxy will take on San Jose. Remember, Kobe Jones still rides for that as the yep. best MLS rivalry, the California Classic. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of awesome groups here. You mentioned the LA Galaxy group uh, with uh, with San Jose, so you got that history there, and then, then Chivas. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. Also being uh, here this summer to see ultimately what this uh, what this looks like. It didn't go as as great when it came to the NBA, right? When the their interleague thing that the, that they did here. But from an MLS perspective, and I guess from a Liga MX perspective, it couldn't have gone better. So I'll be interested to see if they can once again catch fire when it comes to a, a tournament where they just stop down and play it. One storyline to keep an eye on. Uh, right now, we're covering the CONMEBOL Olympic qualifying tournament. Argentina have advanced to the final round. Tiago Amada, by the way, doing great things there. Uh, if Argentina qualify for the Olympics, their coach, Javier Mascherano, who, by the way, won two Olympic gold medals as a player, he's already said he wants Messi to play as one of those overage players. He's going to try to convince Messi to play in the Olympics. But that would conflict with the League's Cup. So... I wonder how Inter-Miami will feel about that. We could be set up for a club versus country dispute here. Keep in mind, Messi's already going to play in the Copa America. So does he need to play two different tournaments at this stage of his career and miss all that time with Inter-Miami and what's his first full season with the club? I don't know. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. They're, they're also, when I say they, I guess it would be Miami or MLS. They're not required in this instance to release him for the Olympics, right? Correct. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting power play if Messi does want to do this and demands to do this. How if they acquiesce at their own expense? Because like you said, if it's happening during this MLS tournament, man, oh man, oh man. Well, no, these are, as, as Tata Martino, his coach would say, champagne problems. Oh, my goodness. All right, anything else here, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And you can do that over on the uh, social media platforms out there. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi. And whether it's you know X or Instagram or over there on YouTube, just send in your comments yeah, or your questions or your concerns. Or... You can call our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. What do we have today, Masi? We have a question on X. Nathan Pile asks, could a coach like Pep handle the pressure of the parity in MLS, or does he need the luxury of coaching a super team in order to win trophies? Oh, Nathan, I, I love this question, and we've... You know, we've tried to answer this over the years, whether it's with Pep or anybody else. You know, I have this... I have this fantasy, you know, having come from a, not just a league, but a culture that at least on the surface and as you get down to it is based on not just parity, but manufactured parity in the way that the rules and the regulations are set up. And the goal is whether it's MLS or pretty much any league in the United States, um, that when a fan wakes up on that morning of the start of their season, that they at least have the belief that their team can win. And that does not exist in most places around the world because of the way the rules and regulations are, but more importantly, the way the money is allowed to be spent. And you have your haves and your have-nots. And yes, there has been some separation between your haves and have-nots when it comes to MLS, but it's nothing compared to the rest of the world. So I've always had this fantasy of when we talk about these coaches in, in glowing terms, and it's completely legitimate when it comes to Pep or anybody else out there as to what they would ultimately look like if they didn't have all of this power when it comes to the talent that they have, the money that they're able to spend at their disposal. And don't get me wrong. There is an incredible value and a skill in being able to coach elite players. There's an incredible value and skill of relative to even two or other three elite super clubs out there to be able to find what that difference is. And sometimes it's minuscule, but it is what the difference ultimately is. And whether it's Klopp or Pep or anybody else out there, I think they have proven, in, and in many cases on a continual basis, that they have the ability and the talent to find that little piece of separation between the two. However, what would it look like? You know, in, uh, in racing, Mossy, they, sometimes they have the races where everybody drives the exact same car in terms of the... Um, the, uh, the, the qualifications and the abilities, right? And so then it's just about who's the best driver because you're all, dr all driving the exact same car. I, I would love to see what a PEP would look like if, you know, for example, they just took all of the EPL players at the beginning and you just did like on a school lot, everybody just picked teams. Would PEP still rise to the top? Would he still be viewed as great? If he was and, and still rose to the top, I think it would be undeniable in terms of his greatness because he will have done it on both sides there with all of the best players and all of the, and the most money. And in my crazy scenario, it wouldn't have mattered because he would have just coached them up and relative to everybody else who was, like I said, relatively close, he would have been able to be successful. All of that is to say, Nathan, that I still think that Pep would be successful in Major League Soccer, but I don't think it would be to the extent 
by any stretch of the imagination that we have seen now. I don't think he would have, if he didn't know who Pep was, I don't think he would be revered. There's very few actually in an MLS setting or, you know, in, in other settings that are revered. And so I think it would be very difficult for us to look at Pep if we didn't know who he was and see him in the same light, even close to the same light. And he would have challenges and struggles, the likes of which he has never faced before. Not, it's not his fault. It's just the, the reality of where he has been. But I'm here for it because, and I'm not necessarily saying this about Pep, I think there are a lot that have been propped up and look better than they actually are simply by the fact that they have more money and they have more talent. And I'm not saying they just throw out the ball, but it's a hell of a lot easier when you got the most talent. And any coach in the world will say, I can only do so much. But if I don't have players that are good, it's very, very difficult against other, other teams that are better in terms of the quality and the abilities and the, uh, the things that they are able to do. You know, we talk about guys like Pep and Mourinho someday coaching the U.S. national team, but those guys love the day-to-day of it. So if they ever were to come to the United States, I almost think they'd rather coach an MLS team, perhaps an LAFC or LA Galaxy, live out here in Los Angeles and see what they could do. I, I could see that almost before I could see coaching the U.S. national team. Nathan mentioned the pressure. I don't think the pressure would be <laughs> would have any, any, any uh, significant impact on Interesting it. Interesting Pep note. Uh, he was asked in the Man City press conference about Xavi's decision to leave Barcelona. And he said the pressure on a manager is much greater in Spain than in England and that nothing is comparable to Barcelona. And you could tell the English journalists were taken aback because they like to think of the Premier League as the ultimate pressure cooker. And what are you talking about? And La Liga is only a two or three team league. And how can it be comparable? So, but he stuck to it. He said, that's how he feels. He's protect his guy. I mean, you know, I think he's giving Xavi, uh, a, a, a helping hand in this situation. <laughs> but I'm here for it, Nathan. I, I would love to see it, and I would love to see ultimately how our perception of Pep changed. Either it was hurt, and we look at him and say, ah, he actually is just a human. <laughs> or, who knows, maybe it would be enhanced if he were to come in and say, you know what, even with that same race car that everybody else has, he's still a hell of a driver, and he still finds ways to win. I'm not sure if we're ever going to see that because what's the first thing that any manager asks when they come in? How much money do I have? And can I have more? All right. Uh, Just one for today, right? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break and come back. I got my one for the road. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Now, a couple things that I wanted to mention here that I thought were interesting and kind of callbacks and things that we have talked about in the past. Mossy, did you see the news here that the EPL has now gotten the all clear to enable referees uh, when, we, uh, when we're talking about VAR decisions to actually explain the decisions to the public in the stadium um, in front of the, the crowd? Now, this is obviously a departure. Uh, I couldn't be happier about this. For those that remember, uh, when you were around back in the in the pandemic and the tournament that MLS put on, uh, MLS's back tournament, this was actually done in those games. Ended up that uh, FIFA was none too happy about it, but who cares? At that point, we were throwing all sorts of stuff at the wall and we did what we did. I, I, I could not be more supportive of this. I think it is a wonderful type of thing. I think it will help, and not the only thing, but certainly help humanize the individuals that come in for a tremendous amount of criticism and grief. Some of it warranted and fair, and a lot of it, to be quite honest with you, over the top. I think it will demystify some of what is happening when it comes to VAR. And while we do hear and see things after the fact, in that moment in the stadium, I think, like I said, it can help demystify. I think it can help diffuse 
some of the confusion that at times has arisen when it comes to uh, VAR. And while on the surface, it's a a justifying of what is happening, it doesn't mean that there aren't still going to be people that are angry, people that disagree, and even controversies and who knows, even things that they don't get right. But the more transparency and the more that can be done to have people understand what is going on, the, I am 100% for that, Mossy. You? I agree. Okay, cool. So we'll see how it goes because this is, again, while this has been done in Mexico and done in Portugal and you know they have used opportunities to do this, how they actually go about doing it, we'll see if it's seamless or they come into uh, technical problems or it doesn't work the way that they, uh, that they envisioned. But I'm, I am here for, uh, f- uh, for that. And again, MLS kind of seeing around the corner when it comes to the things that we do. And I think MLS should be involved even more in terms of pushing the envelope and doing things that the rest of the world might not see as traditional and might not see as classic and may even look down their nose at. And while it can be that you're being the guinea pig, I also think more often than not, it ends up being that you are much more evolved and you are much more advanced. And like I said, much more seeing around the corner of what's happening than the rest of the world. And I think MLS in particular can benefit from that. There's, there's an advantage that MLS in a short period of time uh, and with a very minimal amount of expenditure can actually benefit from uh, going, uh, going forward. Mossy, I, I wanted to mention this other thing because it, it, it relates to rules and regulations out there. This came to me the other day because I often get asked, and I've been asked even on this pod about, you know, what, what laws and, and rules and regulations would you want to change? And look, there are, there are big picture things that while I may want, can take a lot of time or a lot of money, or there's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen out there. And then there's little things that might seem inconsequential when it comes to the game. I've watched a lot of high school soccer. I have watched a lot of youth soccer because my kids have participated over the years. One thing that drives me nuts about the game is the amount of time that is wasted. And I think a lot of people share my, my angst and anger over that, just in general in the game. But when it comes to youth soccer, which where, at least I think, we're trying to develop players, every second of lost time that the ball is in play is a lost second when you could be developing players. And it drives me crazy when I watch games and the ball goes out of bounds and I see the goalkeeper have to go on a marathon to go get the ball, bring it back, place it down, and then get the game back started. It drives me crazy when the ball is kicked over a fence or the ball goes out for a throw-in and people are running around or coaches are running around and they're trying to figure it out. I want it to be a priority. It's a small thing. I recognize it's a small thing. But small things matter. It's a small thing, but I want balls all the way around the field. I never, ever want to have the game stopped and us waiting around, either as players or as spectators, for a ball to be retrieved or a ball to be found. And I know there's people out there who say, well, you know, it's only so, a certain amount of balls. If your team, your youth team, only has three workable balls, because right now, usually what ends up happening is you have the ball you play with, And then there's usually a ball behind each net. And if you're lucky, you have either parents or sometimes little kids that run and chase the ball down for you. I want balls all the way around. And yes, they do it when it comes to the professional game. But I don't understand why we can't do it when it comes to youth soccer. People will say, yeah, but we don't have enough balls. If you only have three balls as a youth soccer team, then you are already screwed. Okay? So this is what I'm asking. Put balls all around the field. And I know there's rules and regulations out there. I, I, don't, I don't care about that. I want the ball in play as often and as much as possible. For an entertainment perspective, yes. But if we're talking about developing players, I want there to be a live ball that you can actually play soccer as much as possible for your development. All right, I'm off of my uh, little high horse there when it comes to uh, something that, like I said, on the surface seems small, and inconsequential, but when you actually really think about it, balls, balls. So if, there's, if, if you want to help soccer, give a team as many balls as possible. 
and then make sure that they are using them and that you are lining your field when the game is happening with as many balls. So as soon as it goes out, you are able to put the ball back and get it in play, either from a throw-in, a corner kick, a goal kick, whatever it ends up being. All right, Mossy, anything on that? I have nothing on that. Ah, perfect. Wonderful. I've left you speechless for once. Uh, anything before we go? Yes, a reminder. We're taping this on a Wednesday. The transfer window in all the top European leagues closes tomorrow. Uh, Doug McIntyre has an article coming out analyzing all the transfers made by Americans. You might need to rewrite the Duncan McGuire section because Duncan McGuire was off to Blackburn, but that move has collapsed and Duncan already got on a plane to England. So <laughs> he's going to be in for a surprise when he lands. Well, if my theory holds true that your value simply increases by touching the tarmac, <laughs> he might come back already. <laughs> <laughs> well, ahead of the game when it comes to that. So I'm sorry that it fell through to him. I was actually mildly surprised that your one for the road today wasn't on Taylor Swift because I saw you arguing with people on X. You've had it up to here with these Taylor haters. Well, I think that I made my point very clear on the previous episode, and you should check that out if you're really that intu inter interested right now. But when it comes to... All right, I'll, I'll give you my little quick take. This is a little, little Easter egg before we go. I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I went to Taylor Swift concerts way back, you know, what was it, 2015 or whatever, the 1985 tour, or whatever it was with my, with my daughter and all that kind of stuff. I've seen the phenomenon. And I have incredible respect for anybody that is able to be that popular for so many years and obviously, you know, transcend and become iconic as a uh, musician. Um, but I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. I'm not a, a Swifty. But when it comes to all of the craziness that's going on right now, I think we can all recognize, and maybe we as soccer people recognize it more. You know, when we televise soccer games, especially when we do big events, you know, World Cups and stuff like that, our hope, not our hope, our job is to appeal to the masses. Our job is to get as many people in to the tent as possible. And I know NFL is very different than soccer. But even the NFL and even the Super Bowl, in this case now over the next two weeks, they want as many people into the tent as possible. They want as many people watching. And you would be derelict in your business duty if you did not use this incredible gift of Taylor Swift. I, I will watch it. I'm more inclined to watch it because of Taylor Swift. But let's be honest. People watch the Super Bowl not for the X's and O's. They watch it for the entertainment and the party and the, and the advertisements and all this kind of stuff. So I, it just, I don't quite understand it. I love it. It, it, make, it gives me something to talk about. It makes me more interested than I ever would have been beforehand. It's not Taylor Swift's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's, if it, I guess if it is anybody's fault, it's us as humans and what we gravitate to. And somebody who is one of the most famous people in the world actually being part of this big event and using that to promote it and to market it and to get as many people into the tent as possible. Case in point, there's a young lady sitting over there in the studio and she was ignoring us the whole show. And as soon as you said Taylor Swift, I saw her head lift up and she started listening to what you were saying. Well, we've, we've experienced this uh, phenomenon with Messi and Ronaldo over the years. Yeah. We know what clicks. We know what people respond to. So, did, did you see, by the way, the other day when I asked Kat if she was a Taylor Swift fan, she tried to play it off like, oh, yeah, she's okay. When you know Kat, like... She wears... She's got her sweatshirt. Yeah, she's a Swifty for she's sure. She's a Swifty. Hey, listen, be a Swifty. I don't care, you know? Listen, I, I, I love Rat. I know nobody else loves Rat. There's a lot of people that loves, love uh, Taylor Swift. Love your Taylor Swift, all right? Have a good time. It's a big party. It's the Super Bowl. With or without Taylor, it's going to be fun. And it's going to be that much more interesting with her. Show her on the TV. Hopefully, I don't know, hopefully she comes down on the field after her boyfriend wins the Super Bowl. And we have this iconic moment where he asks her to marry her and all that kind of stuff. I'm here for all of it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm sure Skip Bayless is behind me screaming and yelling. Or, uh, but, you know, that's the, way, that's the way that it goes. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Well, look. Keep reviewing, uh, keep rating, keep subscribing. We need as much help as we, unlike Taylor Swift, we need as much help as we can possibly get out there. And we love the fact that you do all those different things on all of the different platforms out there, whether you're listening or whether you're watching the State of the Union. It is a labor of love, but uh, we can't do it without you. So thanks to everybody that uh, continues to support this, uh, this program. We'll talk to you again next week. Enjoy all of your soccer this weekend. Until then, 
And as always, my friends, size the day.